Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. Tony Nash back with you again, the CEO of Booktopia, and my series continues. And today we have a an author, six times author, Gabrielle Dolan. Uh, magnetic stories connect with customers and engage employees with brand storytelling. Another book from the Wiley, I guess you can call it um, engine. Uh, they they bring out so many great business books and and welcome to the program. Thanks, Tony. I'm really excited to be part of it. Good on you. That's so great. And magnetic stories, um, brand storytelling. There's just there's so many layers to that, I guess. And then at the same time, it's it's pretty well like front and center. It's like, do you just start talking, or or is it or is it something? that um, needs a lot of um, consideration and, and, and needs to be unpacked to a certain degree. How, how do you, in your experience, you're obviously working with organizations to help them do that, to become a subject matter expert. What's, what's, your, what's, what's your view for, for us, the, the, the brands, Booktopia and all the others who are listening, um, how, how, do you see, how do you see us getting better better at doing it yeah i guess i guess uh tony it was almost the catalyst for writing the book i've, I've been uh, teaching people in business how to share stories more effectively for over 16 years now and um as storytelling sort of gets really popular and it has become very popular it certainly wasn't the case 16 years ago i saw a lot of companies pretty much doing what in my opinion brand storytelling wrong and as you say I mean brand storytelling there's a lot of layers to it so what I saw is people sharing just one story and thinking they were doing storytelling or calling something a story but wasn't actually a story so you know on their website saying our story but it was just a timeline so I saw people doing it wrong and thought "I I reckon I could help them with this and I also I also heard so many people that had amazing stories and companies that had amazing stories and they weren't sharing them and they either weren't sharing them because they didn't see the power in it or they just didn't know how to do it. So, um, th- yeah, there, there's a lot of bit of, there's a bit of effort that's got to go into doing this properly and hence why I sort of wrote the book. Mm. And and is it because um, we're, we're cut a certain way? You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good storyteller. And I've enjoyed telling stories of my travels, of my life, um, of of, and so if you're not kind of that way inclined, is it is it is it really hard for people to do it, or can <laughs> can they pivot and be able to uh, go? Got it. I got what you're saying. I I just need to get access to that kind of uh, thinking and that kind of um drilling down into into whatever they've done or uh, what they're doing or accomplishments is it is it just reframing their thinking and then they can get there um it's reframing's part of it so what i what i say is as humans we're storytellers so you know a lot of lead a lot of people go you know i i i enjoy telling stories it was like yes of course you do because we're human we we enjoy listening to stories because we're human so as humans, we naturally tell stories. It's what happens when we go into business. We've, it's almost like that we have this bias towards facts and figures and data, and, and which is you still need. But we've sort of been brought up that sharing stories is not really professional in business. So for the first step that when I work with um, people in business, there, there is awareness. There is awareness to say, you know, storytelling works better. It's, it's, it's what people connect with. It's what they engage you with. It's what they remember. So why aren't we doing that in business to connect and engage with, you know, both our employees and customers? So there's the first step is awareness that it's actually credible and it's powerful. But the second step is actually teaching them how to do it well. Um, the biggest feedback when I run my training workshops in in businesses is people go, "This is a hell of a lot harder than I thought it is." And and you know, and because there's there, there is a big difference between sharing stories with our mates down the pub and sharing stories at work. So there is a skilling piece. So we're not you know, so we're not sharing. You know, we're not saying, "Let me tell you a story," or the moral of the story is. So we're not starting our ending our stories like that, which are not very effective. So there's certainly a skill involved. Mm. So I don't. I never like to kind of go into the book. Um, we want people to buy the book, right? Yeah, true. So buy the book. <laughs> buy the book, guys. Buy the book uh, from Booktopia or from any bookstore. Um, uh, I'm sure it's. A, it looks. I mean, just for those that um, that are listening. It's not a big book. It's, it's a beautiful 
it's a be- beautiful um, airport book where you can kind of take it on the plane and read it and go. And by the time you get off, you've, you're, you're better educated. It's one of those great sizes where you can you can get into the meat of it and the way that you put it together is, is really easy to, to pull out very yeah. um, pieces of content that don't necessarily need to be in a sequential order, which, which is always helpful for people like me. I, I'm the kind of person that goes, holds a book in my hand, shuts my eyes, and you know it's like pulling a card out of the pack. You know, it's like open on a page because that's the page that's going to be the most relevant to, to me, right? Yeah, well, thanks, Tony, because I actually I actually write books how I like reading them. And I don't think of there's very few business books that I have finished that I've absolutely finished because I think yeah, the last third are a bit of fluff. So I actually write books, um, the write books that I would like to read. And that is they're they're short, they're easy, maybe a bit of entertaining fun in them, but you can dip in and out. Um, you don't have to read it from cover to cover, but I must admit, I'm always pretty chuffed when someone says, I started reading your book and I just got to page 167 before I know it. It was like, oh my God, really? It was like, so yeah, that's, I, I do love that feedback. Yeah. So I don't, so I don't never like to kind of go in because I do want people to buy, buy it, but some of the chapter headings are always pretty inspiring. And you do talk about some case studies that you're, you've kind of observed over the years where, where great storytelling has has perhaps transformed um, their uh, their impact, their effectiveness, their success. Is there anything that's not in here that you could share with us that um, is a great example of where you you were able to um, give give it someone access to to a story about what they who they are as a person, what they what they do in their company or their job or whatever, and then things really ignited for them. Mm. Look, I, I do. I do have a lot of people contact me after you know I've worked with them to say I shared this story. Perhaps, perhaps the most recent one, and it was a real touching email. Is I got an email from this person who had done my training a few months ago and said I had the courage to share this story, and she said it, it was like a story that almost she was ashamed to share, and it was just a. It was just one of those silly stories when she was 17 and she put a potential boyfriend ahead of her girlfriend, which is, you know, like a nothing story. But she shared it and she said the moment she shared it, not only the impact it had to the audience she was sharing it with, but it's almost like she had this relief and she she felt like she and she actually contacted this friend that she hadn't spoken to for about 30 years. And it was so it was when when I hear those things where people are a little bit reluctant to share a story, but then do it and then receive this amazing feedback from their audience saying, I really love that story. It really helped me realize this or whatever. Um, and they experience the power of storytelling. That's when I know my job's done for that person because when I, once I know when, you know when you've experienced the power of storytelling, you then start to realize this stuff actually works. It, it, it's actually a more effective way to communicate and influence people. Um, and once they've experienced the power of it, they'll, they'll keep doing it and, and therefore they will become better communicators and better leaders because of it. Mm. So to, to storytelling can be a, a bit misleading in itself because someone may sit there and think, well, I've got kids. Um, I, I know how to open a book on, I know how to kind of um, read the book to them or I know how to kind of elaborate on the story and, and make it a, be, be a bit more animated. Um, is it, it, what you were talking about there is about authenticity and about um, um, you know, being your, your honest, true self and bring that person to the conversation um is is labeling it brand storytelling i mean you, you say connect with customers and engage and engage employees with brand with brand storytelling which is a good uh, kind of elevator kind of not pitch but kind of you know one liner which people get it and they go yeah i understand what you're saying but is there is there if you try try to unpack the storytelling component and kind of go all right what well, what's going on in there are we are we finding an interesting thing that happened that um, that can be re- relatable to many people, or is it because there's the um, get accessing the emotion of it and understanding you know, the personal passion and the purpose for your business? How do you start to kind of navigate your way in, almost like one of those you know 
divining tools they find water you know like how are you kind of finding your way into the the crux of it where you can i mean that lady um was surprised when she shared that mm. and and got great feedback and and noticed the feedback and goes oh i'm onto something there um, um but before you get that feedback um and you're going in there what how, how what are some of the things that you're kind of we're working with yeah, look, the first thing, and again, this is this is probably the first book. Well, it is the first book that I've talked about brand storytelling. All my previous books have been around storytelling and, and authentic leadership and communicating in a way that's real. So the whole concept of brand storytelling, because I, I did see a lot of companies trying to communicate their brand through storytelling. Now, to me, brand, brand will mean different things to different people. To me, it's not a logo or a tagline or a slick corporate video. To me, your brand is, you know, your, your values, your culture, like what, what you want to be known for, what you want people to say about you. I love um, uh, Jeff Bezos's definition of brand is the things people say about you when you're not in the room. My little tweak on that is the stories people share about you when you're not in the room. So if your brand is the stories people share about you and you know, just to backtrack, if you think, well, why is brand important? We all have a brand. Every individual has a brand. Every company has a brand. And your brand will determine if people buy from you, if they work for you, if they invest in you, if they refer you. So it's pretty important. So if brand is the stories people share about you, then you've got to think, well, how do you take control of those stories and how you influence them? And the first thing I get people to do is to say, well, what is it you want to be known for? And, and it always comes down to values. Like, you know, do you want to be known as generous or do you want to be known as really customer focused? I know I, I, what I do is I work with individuals a lot with this. So the vast majority of my work is going into companies and teaching individuals to come up with a personal story to communicate the company values and Tony one of the things that this happens all the time I'll be working with you know the leadership team and one of their values might be integrity for example and I will I will say to the individual I'll go okay so Tony what does integrity mean to you just tell me what it means to you personally and they'll go oh it means um uh telling the truth what else does it mean and they'll go um Gee, uh, gee, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it this much before. Um, and it's so that where I start is helping them be really clear on what is what does it mean to you? So this authenticity, and then I help them find the story. So to me, it always starts with be very clear on your message first. So whether you're, you know, you're trying to communicate a business message around integrity or whether you're just trying to communicate a business message around the latest change you're doing, be clear on the message and then and then we'll find the personal stories that will help you communicate them. Mm, uh, I can't not um, go into a bit of a story story right now. <laughs> of course. Um, I, know, I know this is uh, for everyone who's listening. This is about you right? This is about the author, Gabrielle, and, and her book, Magnetic Stories, right? But the fact that you mentioned integrity, it just like, um, I'm, I'm aware of, of um, the pertinence to me about that. And I want to share with people because it's part of who I am as a CEO of Booktopia, why the company is a certain way. So I was doing a workshop many years ago, I won't say which one or how it was. Um, and there was a, a component of that workshop um, on the weekend, it was a weekend workshop where in integrity came up, the idea of integrity and, and to demonstrate integrity to, to how do you, and I looked at that and I go, what is, what is integrity? You know, like you hear the word, but you know, what does it really mean? And I, I asked for a dictionary. It was before the internet. I asked for a dictionary and they brought it over and I read it and I go, I still don't get it. I still don't get what that is. And, and so I just failed at that part of the of the workshop to to demonstrate integrity and so um the the course the course went on um and uh, it, it completed and part of that course to do that component you had to be in a team and i was i was we, we got a team together and then one of the guys in my team said to me i i really don't want you in our team and i said thank you for being honest i really appreciate your honesty so i left i said well I'm going to trust that and I'm going to leave. And so I ended up in another team and it was in that team that I, I didn't, I couldn't work out integrity. 
two months later, the course was running again. And I got so much out of that workshop that I really wanted to go back and learn as much as I could. It was incredible for me. And would you believe in the, in the, when I went back, you had to go into these groups, which would then, um, it was kind of like you were auditing the course, you were repeating the course and you could then be on, on that process to go, are they demonstrating the word integrity? Are they doing it? And I ended up in the, in the group with the guy that said, I didn't want to be in your, you know, I, that, he, that he didn't want to be in my group. And, and so I, I actually asked him on that day. I said, why didn't you want to have me in your team? I really want to know it's going to help. And he goes, well, I just didn't think you had enough integrity. I said, I know. Uh, yes. <laughs> thank you. And I made it like, uh, it was, it was so odd. So I went out after that and I actually, started to watch videos or um you know series of, of people that i thought had integrity martin luther king um jfk who didn't have a lot of integrity in some areas of his life but he had a lot in others and i just started to watch and would you believe in two or three years later people would randomly say to me boy you've got a lot of integrity mm. and i think that's an interesting story for everyone to understand i know it's a bit of a deviation away to and what we're what we're doing here no but, no, no it's not tony because it, it's sort of highlighting that if you want to be known for integrity you've got to be aware of it but you have to truly understand what it means to you and then not only share stories that demonstrate your integrity which is the brand storytelling bit but actually do stuff that that shows integrity because then people will share stories about that so you can't just share stories. You can't tell people that you you've got integrity, but not do it. Um, so I think it's, it's I think it's a great story that highlights um, almost being deliberate around what what do you want people to be saying about you. And if even and if in a few years people are randomly saying you have so much integrity, it it sort of shows that it can be done. Yeah, and, I, and look, this this um, this podcast is about your your brand storytelling uh, storytelling, and that's why I wanted to share personal story mm. uh, not so much about the fact that oh, you, you know the integrity but how how a story can um can really light up um and in, engage the listener and perhaps inspire them to shift their own thinking my personal thing is that i like to deep dive i like to go into 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 um my own values and 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 self and how i how I show up in the world and, and my friends from school cannot believe, you know, like what, where I am today based on the kid that was at school. And it is really constant personal pursuit of, of evolving and, and learning and, and, and not just facts and figures and, mm. and things like that. It's about, about attributes and, 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 and who you are and how you, how you operate in the world. So yeah. So that, hey, that, we let's let's stay. I, I, I want to. Sh- I ironically, I want to share a story too about integrity, please. and and this is in the book. So this this fits really well. in let's not talk about what's in the book. Let's just talk about storytelling. Um, and again, I just I want to share this because I think it can highlight as someone in a company, like if you were CEO of Booktopia, if you're constantly sharing personal stories about integrity, people would not only assume that you've got integrity, but you operate the company with integrity. So there's this assumption. I did, um, I worked with, a, you know, a, in one of my many workshops, I the process I took take you through, which is I sort of just said, what does integrity mean to you? There was this woman called Anne, and I took her through the process going, so one of their company values was integrity. I go, so what does it mean to you? And she sort of went through, it means telling the truth. Um, it means you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. And I just keep pushing them. I go, what else does it mean? What else does it mean? And she sort of said, what it really means is doing the right thing all the time, not just when it suits us. Um, She goes, I think we're really good at doing the right thing when it suits us, but not so much when it doesn't. So I took her through the process of finding a personal story that would demonstrate that. And and I thought I might just share it because I think if I share it, your listeners will will hopefully go, well, does that show she has integrity um, and what does it do for them? So the story she shared was about her dad. 
She said in the early 60s, my dad was a professional swimmer and he reached the point in his career that he actually tried out for the National Swim Squad. And on the day of the meet, he was uh, winning the race and he did the tumble turn at the end and he'd slightly misjudged, so he missed the wall. Now, this was in the 60s, so it was way before, you know, sensors and technologies in the walls and they had judges, but with all the splashing and kicking, he knew they probably didn't know if he'd touched the wall or not. So he had to make a split-second decision. Does he go back and touch the wall or does he just keep swimming? And he decided to go back and touch the wall. Now, you don't really recover from a swim race when you do that, and, and he didn't. He he never, he, he didn't make place and he never, ever made the Australian swim squad. And Anne would always often ask her dad, do you ever regret going back and touching the wall? And he said, I've never regretted that because if I didn't go back and touch the wall, I would have to live the rest of my life knowing I did the wrong thing. And Anne ends that story by saying, I'm sharing this with you because whenever I think of our value integrity, I think of my dad. And it's only a matter of time before we're going to come across our own go back and touch the wall moments. And I invite you to consider what my dad would do. Mm. Now, when I share those stories, that story in my workshop, I sort of say to the audience, pretend I'm your manager and I share this story with you, what does it do? And if people go, it's instant credibility, it's instant trust, you know integrity is really important to her. It's not just a you know, company value that she was raised this way. It's, it's the standard she holds herself to. It's the standard she expects of us. And it's just a powerful, powerful story that can um, demonstrate your brand and your values. I think for those that are listening, we just got a classic example of storytelling. That was so great. And for those hopefully that are listening, if there isn't a little tear in your eye when you when you hear that, then you know um, you're a robot. Um, <laughs> so that's that's really inspiring. And I think that's the interesting thing about it about storytelling is is, is how inspiring can you be? Um, I want to then, as you say that, because I do keynote speaking. You do keynote speaking. Yep. You're saying a lot of the stories over and over again um, to keep it fresh and really like with my son. He's he's going to be 18 soon, right? Yes, Dad, you told me that one. Um, yeah, have I told you that? Yes, you told me that one. And finally, the other day, I there was something that I hadn't told him. It was like we laughed about it because he hadn't heard that one before. So, to keep you know, in terms of storytelling and keeping it fresh and not feeling and and being relevant, like. Um, oddly enough, um, only last week I interviewed a guy, uh, Gary Brown, who's got a book called Brand New Brand You, and it's about branding. And uh, once again, another book about brand, uh, interestingly enough. And and so uh, it's it's that he talked about relevance because um, he's he brought some of the biggest brands out in North America and and over the years and and launched them in Australia, and and then. The idea of slowly becoming irrelevant. Um, how do you stay relevant, and how how do, how do you know when the story is expired, or yeah. that you've lost the edge on it, or do, how, to reconnect with it again? I mean, you've told that story many times about, um, and you will tell it many times about this um, this participant and their dad. So. Just give us a bit more more of a insight to how that plays out. Yeah, it's um there, there's a there's some really good insights into that. So I might I might unpack a few of them. First of all, I think uh, I've got a 17 year old daughter as well and a 20 year old daughter. And when they were young, they would you know, they tell that story again, mum. Tell that story again, mum. So you know. First of all, don't take much notice of teenagers going, yeah, you've told us that. It was just like my teenage daughter goes, you're not at work now, mum. I go, no, clearly I'm not at work because when I'm at work, people listen to me. <laughs> so, so, so that's that. But good point. As a keynote speaker, you've sort of got, you know, you might have different messages, but you've got a bit of a routine you go through, just like a stand-up comic. Um so you don't want to be changing your stories. You, if you've got a story, like I know that story has such a powerful impact, the story about go back and touch the wall. So I'm going to share it. You know, it, my, nearly every workshop I run, I share that story if it's around using stories to communicate values because I cannot work. If I'm doing, for example, I know I'm doing a repeat workshop for people who have already heard it. I'm not going to repeat it again. I might refer back to it, but I'm going to come up with another example to give the story. 
But there's a couple of things. I think when you're sharing your own personal stories, every time you tell it, you don't just retell it, you actually relive it. And, you know, you can see that in people, they relive it every time. So, and I think that's the beauty of stories as well, where you could see someone give the same presentation, almost like they're going through the motions and they get to the personal story and they come alive again because they're reliving it. So there's, you don't, you don't want to be, you don't want to be changing your stories because you're sick of telling them. Um, but also you want to, you know, it, it's sort of be going like to, you know, an aha concert and they don't play take on me because they're sick of it. It was like, no, it's not about you. It's about the audience. So there is that. The other thing though, is you do have to, you've got to constantly be on the lookout for stories um, to replenish them. So, you know, I used to, I used to, for example, I used to share the, I'm always on the lookout for stories around miscommunication. And I remember this was years and years and years ago when um, when the new prime minister, uh, oh God, the woman, I forget her name. Julia Gillard? No, no, the UK. Oh, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> no, no, after that. Mary, um, oh my God, I see, I'm telling the story. See, not relevant, but she, she came on and she was all about Brexit. So Brexit means Brexit means Brexit means Brexit. And I used to share that story about well, I was taking the kids to school and it was all about Brexit. Brexit, 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 Brexit means Brexit. And my youngest daughter at the time, Jess, said, Mum, why is everyone talking about breakfast this morning? And so I use that story about if miscommunication can happen so easily from the back seat to the front seat of the car, no wonder it can happen in large organisations. But the reality is I don't use that story anymore, mainly because I just, as you just witnessed, I can't bloody remember the name of the Prime Minister. <laughs> but it's it's too many years ago. It's too many Prime Ministers ago that it's, it's just not relevant. So you replenish it and you look for, um, you know, new stories. I, I used to share a story about Tiger Woods and then, you know, years ago and then it came out he was, you know, having, you know, all these affairs and it was like, so you just you just don't use that story anymore because it's it becomes too divisive. So you do have to replenish your stories, A, so they're relevant, uh, they're relevant to the audience as well. So some stories might not be relevant to different audiences. Um, and, you know, there is a part of you also sharing new stories and refreshing and re-energizing your own presentations. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that that makes so much sense. And and if, if, like, if, you've, if you've got a spouse, kids, you know, they constantly remind you, you know, dad or mom or, you know, like, oh, do we have to hear that one again? Um, <laughs> I get it. Um, so if I look at your chapter headings as a as a and I've got to go quite a long way in past all of these incredible quotes from your devoted fans here and people in very key positions in companies, just as an FYI to the listeners, um, and get into your chapter headings, which gives us always a bit of an insight um to to what you're going. You've got five types of brand stories you talk about so we don't need to go into all of them but there's there's you you've kind of helped us by di dissecting that slightly so we can organize what sort of story and message and and i guess i won't say punchline but um emotional state the person is going to be in at the end of it mm. uh, how it is it go does it go well beyond these five? Have you just kind of given us the top five? Or yeah, look, Tony, I must I must have been when I wrote the book when I started writing the book. One of the I knew one of the sections would be the X number of stories you need to share, and I had no idea what that X would be. Um, and it was only through one of the brilliant things I loved about writing this book, I got to to speak to so many companies around the world that were doing some amazing, cool stuff with storytelling. And it's almost, I got to this process, I was hearing all these different types of companies, you know, stories companies were sharing and all, they, they sort of fell into those five categories. So, um, you, you know, the, the creation story is what most people say, you know, how the company founded or how a product founded is probably the most common, you know, some people call them founder story or origin stories. Um, but I really, you know, they, they just sort of seem to fall into those five 
categories. And, um, you know, as I say in the book, sometimes a story could, oh, it could be that category or this category. It sort of doesn't really matter. The, the concept is how do you come up with a variety of stories that you can communicate both, you know, to your customers and to your employees? I mean, creation stories, Booktopia is 17 years old. And um, for those, most people probably know, we started on a $10 a day budget and, and uh, it was a side project with no light bulb moment or vision. But when when does that fade so far into the distance? Where, you know, where Amazon's um, uh, origins, I know probably more about it because of being in e-commerce and books and so forth. But I mean, funnily enough, here's a story for you. Um, we had, we, uh, my wife and I were getting some renovations done the other day, um, at our, at our house and uh, not, not too much, but a little and father and son are there. And the son was always asking me questions about the ASX and about, about business and investing. And, and he's, he's in his twenties and really nice guy and works with his dad. And, and, um, and so I enjoy our conversations and he, and he asked me the other day, who's your competition? And I said, well, you know, there's very little competition in Australia for online books where we're so big, there's, there's very little, but, and then there's, of course, Amazon, you know, they, they sell books. He goes, they sell books, do they? And to me in that moment, it's like, of course you're in your mid twenties. You were, you were born when they started. Um, you got no idea that that's actually how they got going. And it's like, oh, right. Okay. They're a tech company now, which is really what they are. They're a tech company. Um, and that the younger generation don't even make that connection anymore, that they they come from that. So therefore, the origin story starts to fade away um, because maybe because they are and they want to be known as a tech company. Their value is, is a tech company. Um, the, the, the market, the funds, um, the investor community see them as a tech company, which puts them in a much stronger position. Um, so perhaps that was purpose. Does does the origin story ever kind of, I guess, fade away? I mean, Adam yeah. and Eve, those seven <laughs> days, it hasn't really faded from, you know. No. Look, I think, so I think it shouldn't. I think the origin story, you know, how the company started, why it started, or even why a product started should shouldn't fade away I think sometimes and maybe it's deliberate so in the Amazon example it could be deliberate that we want to be known as a big tech company and we're never even going to mention you know the grassroots of just doing books so maybe that is deliberate and and fair enough but I think a lot of um, smaller companies for example as they grow and and I actually I do talk about one of these in the books where it was the CEO of Goodwill Wine which is you know only started about 10 years old and he's grown and he's he started out of you know recovering from bushfires and um, deciding to give back and when he, when he got some investors he actually thought I'm going to stop telling you know the origin story because the company's bigger than me and it was only the people that invested him and marketing they convinced him to keep sharing it because they said this is what people connect with and this is what people engage with um and we shouldn't lose that story. I mean, you even, you even look at the stories like, you know, Apple and Virgin. We all know the story of them starting in a garage. And, you know, so I, I don't think those stories should be lost. But I think some companies think, I want to be bigger, so we stop sharing them. And, and I think that's a shame because I think those origin stories really demonstrate probably the fundamental values and purpose of the company. Maybe when they pivot, maybe when they realize that they've gone from one um, business to another. So before Booktopia, we were doing internet marketing and getting people to the top of Google. And if I am sitting down with a new supplier or a publisher or somebody, and I'm going into a lot more detail, I will talk about where we came from in that way, because then they understand um, the skill set that we had that, um, prior to starting Booktopia. We, before that, we were an internet software business. So we had software, we had internet marketing. Um, but I do like um, I do recall a meeting where we had the internet marketing business, um, which was a pivot from our software company because our software company was going down the toilet because the dot com crash uh, in the early two thousands was was just everyone was kind of moving away from the internet and we we got going because Google had been um, uh, getting more popular and we started to focus on getting people to the top of Google. Around that time, I met these two young guys who had been introduced to me 
by, by our salesman and they had this thing with these pop-ups. So on the website, it would pop up with some sort of, some, you know, advertising or message. Or, and it was just irritating. <laughs> Nobody wants pop-ups. Nobody wants pop-ups. I mean, and I said, forget it. We're not going to get, we're not going to resell pop-ups. It's just stupid. I didn't know whether that, they may not have been, these two guys may not have been working on it at the time, but they're also building this software development lifecycle platform um, to help software developers kind of keep track of their projects. So Mike Cannon-Brooks and Scott Farquhar from Atlassian, you know, who came and I met them and they told me about this pop-up thing, right? So the, probably in their origin story, Maybe they do. I haven't heard them speak in, in a, a while, but, you know, this stupid pop-up thing. But they were working on this incredible other thing, which now, of course, is, you know, their business and they are worth billions and billions. Mm. Um, so I guess you can be selective about what ends up being in an origin story. Oh, absolutely. And you might have several, like, origin stories, like, depending on who you're talking to, because it could sort of go from different things. So, but to me, to me, that origin story or the creation story, I call it, is um, about demonstrating why something happened. And so not only it can reinforce your values, but it, it can actually change the perception of your brand. So you could have a, a perception of a brand that's not overly positive and the story could change that. And I, I do, I'll share another little one from the book because it's probably one of my it was not my favorites, but it was, I think it helps define it. Um, and I found, I came across this doing research for the book is when, um, so I, I'm a bit of a, I grew up as a massive tomboy. I was just playing football, cricket, riding my BMX bike, skateboard. I was never into dolls and I never had a Barbie. And over the, la over the last few decades, when Barbie has been pretty much body shamed, saying that it's a bad role model for girls and, um, you know, unattainable body image and stuff, I, like, happily went along with that story. And it was only until I heard the backstory about Barbie. So um, Barbie was invented by Ruth Handler, which was the wife of the co the, one of the C, the co-founder of Mattel that makes Barbie. And what she noticed that when in the 50s, what she noticed is when her two children were playing with their dolls, she had a daughter and a son, when they were both playing with their respective dolls, her daughter, Barbara, could only imagine herself as the caregiver, where her son, Ken, would be playing with his dolls and he was encouraged to imagine himself as an astronaut or a scientist and firefighter. And yes, Ken and Barbie were named after their children. So she pitched this idea of Barbie to the exec team and they weren't overly impressed, but she persisted. And in 1959, Barbie um, debuted at the New York Toy Fair. And, you know, as they say in the classics, the rest is history. But there's a, there's a quote from Ruth Handler that says, my whole philosophy with Barbie was that through the doll, the little girl could be anything she wanted to be. And that Barbie always represented the fact that a woman has choices. Now, the moment I heard that story, it completely changed my opinion of the brand and, and will change my future buying habits. You know, I never bought a Barbie for my two children, but maybe great grand, you know, grandkids that come along might get a Barbie. So to me, that's the power of a magnetic story where once you've heard it, you have this instant attraction, it can change your, change your opinion of it. Um, and I just love that story. And to, and to me, the real shame is that that story is not front and centre of the Mattel website and it's not front and centre of every Barbie packaging doll because that message is relevant today as it was 40, 50 years ago. Mm. Yeah, they, perhaps they would have morphed slightly to be more relevant to the times in terms of body shape or, or styles perhaps. But, um, yeah, and they lost that. I was listening to a podcast, a business po podcast on the way into work today, and they were talking about Kodak and Polaroid and how all, they all had the opportunity to pivot to go into digital, and they never did because the origins and the why, why do we do this? Why do we, why do we um, make these um, gadgets and things for people to record those special moments and to to if if you're getting engaged if you're a birth mm. of a child if you're at a, a, a sports thing a reunion whatever it is you're recording those moments and if they had been in touch with their why it would have been so easy to pivot to go to 
digital cameras. You would have gone, this is still going to help us achieve, but because probably they were going for so long um, and the succession planning had lost that. I think that's one of the important messages for me being a founder and building Booktopia is, is that, that the DNA, the why, um, why do we do what we do? What we, what we do is we, is we make sure that books and, and stories and um, things that can educate people and, and plan your trip and escape and be entertained are, are as um, available to every Aussie that we possibly can. And we will do whatever we can. doesn't matter if it's an, an old book that's still, um, it's still a classic and people wonder it's an obscure book or whether it's a new one. And, and if that's how come you end up getting from zero to 200 million plus, um, when everyone was talking about the death of the book and end of physical bookshops and Amazon's going to annihilate you by simply almost like a mantra every day, um, being obsessed about that one thing. And it's, it, it's important that we all, understand that it's it's a bit of a deviation from what you're saying but I think- no 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 tony it's actually not and i was going to say it's 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 often why companies don't will make those you know companies make decisions all the time but it's it's if we lose if we lose why we're doing stuff if we lose the purpose if we lose the values of the company and to me you can only you you've got to keep those alive through stories so to me it's you do start to lose the why you start to lose the values and purpose when you're not keeping them alive through stories. And the whole concept of the tagline engage employees is that they are living the values because they're constantly hearing stories around why this is important to them. Um, if we if we go back to that integrity example where Anne shared the story about her dad go back and touch the wall, she shares that for everyone that works for her. Like she's a senior executive leader and she will say when a decision's on the table, whether we do A or B, the, the conversation will start with, well, technically we don't have to do B. Like legally we're not obliged to do B. And she said it's not her. Someone will always say this is our go back and touch the wall moment. And then everyone goes, well, clearly A is the right thing to do. But it's, it, but it's only through the story. So the decision's made based on that value, but the value's kept alive through the story. So um I think it's critical that stories keep being shared to constantly remind everyone that works in the company why we're here and what are our values and let's mm. make decisions based on that. Mm. So do you work, um, you're working with companies and just to let everyone know, so, um, you know, Gabrielle's got um, a bunch of other books, Hooked, um, How Leaders Connect, Engage and Inspire with Storytelling. Yeah. Right? Real Leadership, Real Talk, Real Results. Uh, real communication stories for work. Um, so you've been you've been doing this for a while. It, it's a very um, corporate and business um, service and message that you you're you're committed to. What about the individuals? Um, like I was mentioning about Gary Brown's book and how important is it to to for people to have their own brand and to have their own storytelling and 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 it all starts from there or um, do you do any work around that area or is it purely um, at a, at a corporate um, and brand level? Uh, no, in fact, in fact, all the previous books you've just mentioned are for the individual. So yes, it's for individuals perhaps working in business. Um, you know, I, I worked 17 years at National Australia Bank. I was in senior leadership positions. I sort of experienced firsthand the frustrations of trying to be able to communicate your message more effectively and authentically. So all the books are aimed, even, the, even this latest book is aimed at an individual. So I think the, the reach for this book is because there's individuals yet, we all have a brand. So it's aimed at, you know, what do you want to be known for? And then how can you share stories? So like, even if you're going for a job interview, for example, how can, how can you, you know, share stories about your values? Um, but also this one, this is probably the first book that's sort of gone from a company perspective. How do we, how are we aware of what our brand is? But to me, when I think of brand, I literally think of values. What is it you want to be known for? Because to, to me, that's your brand. It's not, you know, it's not about your products and, you know, your slick corporate video and your, your color palette and your fonts you use. It's the values and purpose of the organization. What do you mm-hmm. want to be known for? And that, that applies 
equally to an individual person, to a small startup entrepreneur, to a large multinational. The, the concepts are the same. Mm. So, I mean, obviously people have just heard National Australia Bank, um, 17 years. There's got to be a medal in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been out 16 years. I'm almost, I'm almost approaching that that sort of the same time where yeah. I've been out of of corporate as long as I was in it. So, it's showing my age, Tony. Yeah. So t- tell us then the origins of um, what you, you know, when you started your own consultancy, um, and what made you leave the bank and and start pursuing this kind of um this kind of journey yeah it, it look it probably happened 20 years ago when i was in some senior leadership roles so i was leading people and you know you'd you'd communicate the best you could and then you'd have people going but you never told us that it was like ah so you, you sort of have this frustration the last couple of roles i did at uh, nab was in change management roles so that's a very like you got to you got to give your messages out there and you've really got to influence it's almost like without any authority you have to influence 25,000 employees to adopt this change without authority so it's when I started to play with this concept of storytelling. So and what I started to notice is when you shared a story, people not only understood your message better, but remembered it and remembered it like three, six months later. Um, I, I started looking around at the concept of storytelling in business and I came across a book called Steve Denning, who was an ex-senior executive at the World Bank, and he had written a book on storytelling in business. And part of and I read the book and I loved it, but part of me also thought, you know, if a senior exec at the World Bank is saying storytelling is really important, then I think there's some, you know, credibility in there. So I had... Um, you know, 16 years ago, I had done a lot of leadership development training in my in my career. Um, my kids were two and five at the time. I'd gone through several redundancies at the NAB. And uh, on the final one, I just thought, I think it's time to go. And, and part of me thought, if it doesn't work out, I'm home with the kids. Um, and anyway, it, it was a bit of a bit of a tough sell selling storytelling 16 years ago because people in business were just going, what the hell? Like once upon a time, you know, story. And um, so it was a bit of a slow, slow start, but, you know, seriously over the last 10, five years, each year, it just keeps growing, growing in popularity and rightly so because it's a, it's a critical, critical communication and influencing skill. It's a very important uh, message there, just in there for those that are listening, especially with COVID and people thinking about um, changing their careers or reinventing themselves, how long it does take in, in a business to get a business going, to get it up and running, to move from one kind of um, job title and, and mastery of, of doing something across to something else. It does take time. I've got a mate who's a pilot um, and for Qantas for uh, A380s, which of course have ended, and he is now um, out of Qantas after 37 years, and before that a fighter pilot in the RAAF, and he's now looking at what else is next. What can he do? And it it just takes time. You got to be patient. I've, I've got another friend who had her own business for many years, um, Order of Australia. She um, and she sold that and it's taken a few years and now only now is she starting to say oh my god i've just got so much work coming through Mm. because it takes a while to plant the seed and get the word out there and and everyone needs to be patient i I only say that as an aside because when you said that at this time in our world where there's a bit of that going on people just need to to be persistent and stick it yeah absolutely eventually if it I mean, not always is it going to be a success. What you think businesses don't succeed um, and ideas don't always come to fruition. But um, if there's merit there, then and there is interest, it's just taking a while. It take, takes a while. I mean, I'm sure the first book, when you wrote your first book to your sixth book now, it's like all of a sudden uh, you're on a roll, um, you're, a, you're a successful author. So therefore... Um, it's a bit different to when you when you released your first book, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also um, I, the 
biggest person that would be surprised is my English teacher from my final year of school because I actually failed English in my final year of school. So, um, yeah, a lot of people have said this is the best book I've ever written, which is good because you'd hope you're getting better at it all. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're in good company. I think I got 32 out of 100 for English. So Okay, I got 49. So I I win. (laughs) I, I failed more magnificently. Um, I always thought, Tony, I always thought that 50% was a pass and 51% was a wasted effort. And in the words of Maxwell Smart, I missed it by that much. Yeah, that's a good one. Anyway, stupid advice that I would not give any, do not give my children that advice. Absolutely. Hey, so so we're kind of coming, unfortunately, to the end of our um, story time. And the... um, there's so many things that are in your book and, and that I'm sure people want to um, find out more and dive in more and challenge themselves and learn. Is there anything that perhaps in this time that we haven't talked about and you thought, oh, it'd be nice to really kind of cover that, that, um, that um, um, I wouldn't want anyone to miss out on? Um, no, I think we've had a good chat. I just, I, I just like to reinforce the book is really for anyone. Like, like I said, any, an individual or a company, regardless of, the size. And I think that the feedback I've got so far is it's just actually a really good book to read. So I, what I hope from the book is that it gives people an awareness why storytelling is so powerful. It, there is a little bit of, well, if I'm going to do it, how do I sort of do it properly? But I think what I hope that, that people get out of the book is just inspiration to find and share their stories because I had so much fun speaking to people. There is so many stories in there that I guarantee you when you get in there, one of the first things you want to do is go to Columbia Restaurant in Florida because it, it's just the, all these different types of stories people are sharing. So that was, that was one of the one of the companies I spoke to. So, um, well, and, as, and as you said, it's a nice, easy read. As soon as America gets their COVID coronavirus um, sorted, which will be a while, um, we can go in and experience columbia restaurants in florida yeah. i'm not planning to go in the, the short the short not term. this year no. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations again gabrielle what a what a great success and and we look forward to being inspired um and and your next book whatever it may be we will wait in great um with great patience so congratulations thanks for coming on the show and um We look forward to reading your book, Magnetic Stories, Connect with Customers and Engage Employees with Brand Storytelling. Thanks, Tony. Really appreciate the chat. Good on you. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.